Hey, it's Liz Kelly. One Shiny Podcast will be touring from Friday, November 2nd to Wednesday, November 7th, where Tate, Titus, and nephew Kyle are traveling to Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomington, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois to tip off the college basketball season. You can find links to tickets on The Ringer's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, be sure to catch up on all of our NBA preview Palooza content from Tuesday, where you can find Bill Simmons, Shea Serrano, Joe House, and more previewing the start of the NBA season. You can check it all out on YouTube. Welcome to the NBA show. I'm Kevin O'Connor, and we are the Corner Three. Replacing draft class from last year, we're going to be more NBA-centric this year, and we picked our name because, you know, the NBA is shooting more threes, and we figured that we have to as well, since we're a trio. Ride the wave. Sitting across the table is Danny Chow. Sure am. And then there in Dallas, Texas, John Charks. How you doing? I'm pumped, man. I'm calling you guys at like midnight after a Lakers game. Like this is a dedication to the pod right now. I should be dead asleep. <laughs> late, late night, late night. We're produced this year by Bobby Wagner. How you doing, Bobby? Doing good. Happy to be here with you guys. I'm Happy excited have- about this NBA season. We're pumped to get going. This year is going to be less draft focused than in the past. We're still going to have draft class as a segment during the season. So we'll be talking plenty of draft. We'll still have a lot of takes. That's the key. Oh, yeah. A lot of takes for you people out there. A lot of draft takes, but especially early in the season, we're going to be more NBA focused, which I'm cool with because there's a lot to talk about, including tonight's game with LeBron James' debut, 128-119 Lakers lost to the Blazers. It was an exciting, fast-paced game. Somehow, the Lakers shot only seven for 30 from three. <laughs> Nick Stauskas, Oof. Zach Collins stole the show. Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum also hit some big shots down the stretch. Danny, what's your number one takeaway from tonight's game? Okay, this is completely on brand for me, and I guess for Charks as well, but I think the biggest thing is the guy who had the biggest plus-minus of the Collins game, Hive. Zach <laughs> Collins, uh, the number 11 pick in our 2017 redraft, yes! made by me. Yes. I made the pick. Uh, Zach Collins was really, really impressive this game. He had five blocks. Six uh, blocks, actually. Six yes. blocks. He yeah. had six blocks. As many blocks as he did points. So really, we're looking at the most impactful six-point performance in <laughs> recent memory. Sharks, you were one of the first to really, really love Zach Collins in the draft. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just the combination of shot blocking, floor spacing. He just feels like he adds a development to that team that Nurkic just doesn't provide. Nurkic in this game was minus 17 well, Zach was a plus 24. That's a crazy swing for the same position. Ultimately, some of the preseason concerns with the Lakers really popped up early on in this game. Lance Stevenson, at times, Portland was just not even defending him. Same with Rondo when he was spotting up from three. Just not concerned, which was clogging the lane for the Lakers. Made it more difficult for them to score in the half court. And the Lakers' defense, oof. Ugly oof, times, man. Danny. Yeah. Sauce Castillo. I, I get it. This is a shooter's league. You know, you have guys who can shoot on the Blazers. You have them all over the roster. But the Seth Curry, Nick Stauskas... Shout out Seth Curry, by the way. You know... Back in the league. You add these guys, and they're replacing who? Pat Connaughton. They're replacing... Shabazz. Shabazz Napier. Yeah. And they're they're fitting in fluidly. Flawlessly. Blazers looked good. They looked sharp. Lakers did not. Right. Lake, Lakers looked like a team that was just assembled. You know what I could th- I kept thinking, though, was like... Wouldn't the Lakers rather have Curry and Stauskas? Give me some guys who can shoot threes <laughs> on that team. Wouldn't that make more sense it's, than getting a meme team going? It's really incredible that 
The Lakers' first three came with what, like two minutes left in the third quarter. Crazy. Yeah, they had, not of the whole first half. It, yeah, so they were seven for 30, 23.3% from three, but just a couple minutes prior, and when it was essentially garbage time, they were shooting 16% from three. The thing with the Lakers is their shooting obviously isn't good. But last season, their current 10-man rotation that they're using shot a combined 37.5% on catch-and-shoot threes, which isn't good, but it would have ranked 15th last year, and over the last five years, it would have ranked 11.6. So it's not like they're horrible. It's just they're a low-volume shooting team. I think the reaction tonight's game will be a little bit overblown because they shot so poorly. I'm not sure they're going to have many games this bad right. from three-point range. So, if, you know, if well, I hope like, not. You would yeah. hope not, yeah. I mean, they had, okay, Brandon Ingram, LeBron James, and Kyle Kuzma combined for one of 15. <sighs> that's that's unheard of. You're looking at three guys who can shoot at least league average, 36, oh, yeah. 36 yeah. 37%. You're, you're not getting this hopefully ever again because if they are at any point in the season shooting that badly, what are we looking at with this Lakers team? What are we looking at, Charks? I mean, they got to figure some stuff out. Uh, the thing, because like right now, as it stands, like in the NBA today, if you can't play defense and you don't shoot a lot of threes, that's just a tough combination. I mean, I, I wonder, like, do they play a backup five at some point? This Kuzma at the five thing, I don't know if that's really going to work. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, you hit on one of those changes that need to happen, Charks. I think Lance Stevenson at some point, if Mo Wagner gets back and he's healthy, if you're the Lakers, yeah, that'd you, be nice. you have to hope that he can take some of those minutes because he can space the floor and provide some size so you're not leaning on Kuzma Beasley. Hey, what's his deal? Playing. What's his deal, Kev? He had a knee injury. I'm sure he'll okay. be back. Is, at some is there point. is there a timetable? Do we know? I don't know what the timetable yeah, is on okay. the top of my I head. I mean, this no. is this is kind of no. rough because uh, <laughs> you're you're looking at LeBron James, who has historically not really played with anyone below the age of 25 over the past eight years of his career. Mm. And you're asking for a lot of maybe six of their most important role players to just step up. Yeah. I mean, Josh Hart had an amazing game. He, he really showed he something. Did. He should start, I think. Oh, absolutely. Not just yeah, finish, that, but that, start. One, that one happened. I'll have a This was a huge blow to me. I, I think I might be the only person on Contavious Caldwell Pope Island. <laughs> uh, I think he's a stellar defender. But uh, Not yeah, tonight, he, though. <laughs> he showed nothing today. No, nothing. And that, that's always been the, the pain with him is that sometimes you see those 30 point scoring games when he explodes from three. Sometimes you see that lockdown defense. Right. But other times, you see none of it, like tonight. Josh Hart is the guy. You know, Paolo Ugetti at the Ringer wrote a fantastic feature Shout out, Paolo. Hart needs a start. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, he's for a younger sure. player, and I wonder how long will it be until LeBron is pushing for Hart to be the guy that he's playing with at the start of games, at the end of games, virtually any time he's on the court. Because Hart is just a better overall player and a more consistent player. That's big, too, consistency. That's a really big, that's a, that's a good point, KOC. That's important next to LeBron's consistency. Yeah, so one thing that I noticed in the game is that this is basically the formula that the Lakers want in games. They just couldn't pull it out because they didn't have any shooting. But you look at the game, this was the second fastest game in terms of pace played among the opening games of every Man. team. So That's the, a fast pace, too. So the fastest pace... Uh, game was the Hawks-Knicks, which was played at 114 possessions. Uh, the Lakers-Blazers game was at just under 112. And so we're looking at a lot of possessions, Damn. a lot of possessions that didn't really go anywhere because there weren't any threes being weren't any threes being made. But I think that's exactly where, you know, the Lakers could take advantage of a team like the Blazers who have a starting center who is a plotter, who can't really get out in transition and, and get back on defense. 
And that's how, you know, Zach Collins comes in and kind of saves the day for them. It did feel like he saved the day. And, you know, it helped Nick Stelsis dropping 24 points off the bench. And I think some Lakers fans will look at that and say, Stelsis isn't going to drop 24 every game. But you could also just as easily say, Lillard's not going to shoot 9 for 21, or McCollum's not going to shoot 6 for 17. Blazers could have gotten some better performance from their stars as well. Right. Amino even, 1 for 10, he had that one dunk over Jamil well, McGee, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be fair to Aminu. It was his birthday a couple yes. days ago. Uh, happy birthday to Chief Aminu. He uh, celebrated it at Longbon, a, a Thai restaurant over in Portland. Very nice. good. Now, there, there's an on-brand for Danny right there. That's, uh, that's on-brand. <laughs> Ch- Charles, one of the thought on the Blazers, I believe you mentioned this in Slack earlier, but Harkless being back for them, as well as Seth Curry. I think maybe those two additions or the return of Harkless has been a little bit overlooked because Curry, you last saw him in Dallas, was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Seth Curry. I had a big profile set right about last year. Oh, then he gets hurt, Charles. doesn't play all season. For it was real? Very sad, yeah. I talked to him for like 20 minutes. It was, can can I was this be revived? I, I have it in a Google Doc. Okay. And it's just, Let's no, it, it can't be. It uh, really can't be. It, it, it was about his time in, in Dallas. Damn. Like, there's, yeah, there's about, about him, him about and Dennis were really tight. It was, it was a whole thing. Oh, well. I will say, I hear some Lakers optimism. I, one thing I did notice in this game that I think is a positive for them. This is kind of obvious, but like you had Jake Lehman guarding Brandon Ingram. Like how many teams have two wings with the size to guard LeBron and Ingram? Not very many, right? That to me is their big advantage this year is two six nine wings can initiate offense. That's pretty unusual. <laughs> Jake Lehman, defensive stopper. <laughs> he does have size. Yeah. yeah. He has size at least. Speaking of Ingram, Lakers film room on Twitter tweeted something that I felt like confirmed what I was seeing. Like he didn't really get any first half half court touches, and that's going to be a theme of this Lakers team this season. Is the sacrifice that's going to have to happen anytime you're on a team with LeBron James, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, any of their ball handlers are going to have to defer to LeBron and Rajon Rondo. But and, see, I don't mind deferring to LeBron, but deferring to Rondo, uh, I just I just don't see why. It, exactly, that. Charks. That that is exactly the issue here. Where like it's like, yeah, you know, Le- Rondo is a better passer. He's a better playmaker. But I'd rather have the scoring and playmaking combo of Brandon Ingram or Rondo. I wonder how long it'll be until that fit becomes an, an issue during right. the season. W- which uh, is, how about one game? <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly why I think. Look, Rondo might be a better fit. I don't know, as a, a veteran leader, I, I think the TNT broadcast really emphasized the fact that, oh, Rondo was telling all the young people where to go, uh, which is which is fine. But, to 128 points. Sure. Like, <laughs> how about have him lead the second unit that way? Mm. You know, how about have Lonzo Ball in there, who's definitely more comfortable being like a deferential player, put Ingram on the ball. Better lob threat, better, yeah, better catch and shooter. Uh, I think better defender, better defender, exactly. Better rebounder for that matter, too. Better virtually everything except for except for sounding like a leader. Yes. (laughs) You know, that's pretty much I I think Luke Walton needs to flip Rondo and ball flip Hart and KCP stagger Ingram and James a little bit more. And then maybe you have something a little bit better. And then injuries, uh, you know, for Wagner, he gets back on the court, play him over Stevenson. Team gets better. Whereas the Blazers. They look far ahead of schedule right now. This is going to take a while for the Lakers. I, I'm I'm basically penciling in 20 games for LeBron to really get that feeling out process done. Knowing the tendencies of all his young guys, knowing the tendencies of, of all the, the wily veterans he has. It's going to take a while. Yeah, it's weird because like, on one hand, it's like, yeah, you know, Luke Walton has to play the veterans first. Like, he's not going to bench those guys and they wanted the season for young guys. So, okay, this makes sense to wait. But then it's like, We've got to wait two months for them to undo their mistakes that made in free agency. It just, it's bizarre. 
One last thought on the Lakers. On Saturday night, they have their home opener against the Rockets, who also struggled oh in their opener. Just curious about the thoughts for both of those respective teams with a lot of changes this offseason heading into their first game against each other. Last year, you know, we we typically think of D'Antoni teams as being very fast-paced. The Rockets were a very slow. average, slow, you know, methodical, ISO-driven ball uh, team. And, you know, you're getting these Lakers who are trying like <laughs> hell to run teams off the court. I, w- I wonder which which style prevails, especially with LeBron kind of being able to do both. Let's look at the second years for these teams. They both got killed pretty bad in their yes. first game. So how that goes will be interesting to see how that plays out. I think I'm going to be looking forward to seeing some more James Ennis within oh, that yeah. room rule. Some more Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I, I think the big question this season all year will be replacing those other guys on Houston's roster. Trevor Reza, Luke Mabmute. How does everybody else perform to fill that gap of what was so important to their top defense last season. How about we get some Isaiah Hardenstein up in the Skim. up in Let's the mix, him. you know? Want some Gary Clark too. Come on. Let's go, Houston. Moving on, on Wednesday night, we had the debut between two of our favorite prospects to debate from last year's draft class with DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick from the Phoenix Suns, and Luka Doncic, who went third and was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Phoenix won the game 120-100, to and it wasn't just those two guys. There was Devin Booker, Josh Jackson, Dennis Booker was Smith killing Jr. it, man. Oh, Book, Oof, yeah. Booker stole the show ultimately, but we're going to start with Ayton here. Danny, what did you see from the number one pick in his debut against the Mavs? So actually, I think we should start this off by introducing mm. this as a segment, right? A segment, yeah, why not? The kids are all right. The kids How's are that? all right. I like that a lot, Danny. Right. It's a Who song. Classic, <laughs> classic Kevin music reference. I think it's a good Let, song. Let's, let's yeah. talk Aiden. I think we really got to see Aiden's offensive instincts mm-hmm. on display in this game. They put him a lot in a lot of handoff situations especially late in the fourth quarter with Devin Booker. So basically, Kokoshkov on the Suns was essentially doing what Detroit did with Andre Drummond last year, kind of getting him settled in on the perimeter, having him make decisions with the ball on these handoffs. And Devin Booker was just stroking Mm -hmm. these threes. No hesitation, right off, created separation instantaneously. I mean, to be fair, it was the corpse of Wesley Matthews who was creating <laughs> separation on. Matthews and DJ both looked pretty old. Yeah, they did, Wednesday man. They looked right. really old. That was kind of scary for the mass people. But as you mentioned, Danny, I think Aiton's passing ability, his playmaking is, you know, we saw flashes of that at Arizona. Um, you know, he had, he had situations where he would just kick it out accurately, you know, with velocity. And we saw a lot of that on Wednesday night. But I think he's gotten better at executing plays. I feel like right. he's gotten even better with NBA spacing at passing. And, you know, for all the talk about his scoring and his size and his versatility, and it's just some, he can throw down yeah. lob dunks or space the floor for you. Sometimes his playmaking could be what really makes him that perfect fit alongside Devin Booker. KOC, you had a really spicy take this morning in Slack. You want to share it with the people? That was really interesting. It was in response to a tweet that Dan Devine, who's welcome to the ringer. I look oh, yeah. forward to, shout out to Dan. Dan. Yeah, shout out to Dan. I look forward to hearing him on pods. Um, There's a tweet Dan posted in Ringer Slack where a Sixers fan that he knows said that Aiton is already better than Joel Embiid. That's what I need as a take like that Ooh. opening night. That was Ooh. fantastic. That statement sounds outrageous because it is. Embiid is obviously a better player. He has better defensive instincts. He's far more proven on the offensive end of the floor. It's silly to say, but, but, but. there's always the but. <laughs> 
Aiton is already a better passer. I think he's less <laughs> sloppy than Embiid. He's a better mid-range shooter than Embiid. There's there's some traits right that were Aiton four years younger is already ahead of Joel Embiid. There, there was a, there was a particularly impressive assist that he had, and and Aiton had six assists on the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one in the fourth quarter. I think it was Josh Jackson from the three point line on the wing throwing in an uh, an entry pass. The entry to Aiton, the entry kick route, right? Yeah, and so Aiton is about to get trapped. He's about to get doubled, but he recognizes it mm-hmm. immediately. Immediately sends it back to Josh Jackson for an open three, and I was like. Wow, this guy really recognized the double team immediately. I think um, wor- worth pointing out with all of this, like he, they were playing great spacing yeah. today. That was the big adjustment for Phoenix with Kokoshkov. So they've got Trevor Reza, Ryan Anderson, and they were starting Isaiah Cannon uh, last night or two nights ago now. And that's three really good three-point shooters. And it makes a huge difference for any big man to play in space. And that's what Aiden has right now that Embiid and even Towns don't have. He's playing with four shooters the whole time. For sure, and I think that spacing over the course of the season, we saw this especially, I think, during preseason. There's going to be a lot of lob opportunities for him. Right now, he's not shooting threes, which I you know, I wish he were, uh, instead of the mid-range jumpers, but right. wherever he's comfortable, wherever the team wants him for now, he's still developing. Aiton faded a little bit in the second and third quarter. He started fast and ended incredibly well, but you know, second and third quarter, I wish we would have seen more from him, and maybe we will down the line. Again, only his first game. I'm curious what you guys think about his defense. Nate Duncan uh, from Dunked On Podcast tweeted shout out, out. Shout out to Nate. He tweeted out a video of some of the lowlights sure. from DeAndre Ayton. You know, he, Nate mentioned he had an excellent offensive debut, but he didn't do much to dispel doubts about his defensive recognition. I, I personally feel that it's too early. It's too early. It's it's way overblown, Danny. It really is in the sense that it is very rare that an offensive center who's a rookie in his debut. Right. Looks as impressive as DeAndre Ayton did with the passing, with the rec- floor recognition, recognition on the offensive end, as you mentioned, the versatility scoring inside on the posts from the mid-range. A guy who can do all that is rare. What isn't rare is a young center who struggles on the defensive end of the floor, who misses rotations, who fails to communicate, who makes some really facepalm-esque errors. That's not unusual. I mean, there there was one possession where Luka basically just blows by DeAndre Aiden, and I'm pretty sure that was just, you know, the, the two are friendly. They played ping pong over the summer. They I'm sure a, they had yeah. a warm embrace after the game as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure Aiden was just trying to make sure Luca looked good on one of his first possessions, you know? N- no doubt about it. Charks, I'm curious about your thoughts on that because Aiden was somebody that you weren't quite as high on in the draft as others were because of largely his defensive limitations. Are you at all worried about what you saw or, or is it the type of thing where... I mean, it's what I expected, early? that's for sure. Like, I didn't expect him to be a good defender right away and he wasn't. I mean, to me, it was more about Luca. Talk about a guy. It looked like Luca kind of lost energy over the course of that game. I think my man needs to hit the gym. I think he needs to, I don't know, run some suicides or something. <laughs> Luca did look quite winded. Yeah. You you live in Dallas, Sharks, grew up a Mavericks fan. Is the conditioning a little bit overblown for him? Or is or what, what are you hearing about his conditioning? Is this the type of thing where nobody's worried? See, I'm going to see him live on Saturday. I haven't seen him live yet because they were in China for the preseason. That's true. So I don't want to say too much. But I'll say this. I feel like in a way... I think it might be good for the Mavs for Luka to struggle right away and be like, okay, not in Europe anymore. Because he showed up in camp. I think he kind of enjoyed the summer. He enjoyed you know, being number, one, like number three pick, winning EuroLeague, all that stuff. Living like the high life. It's all right. Time for the NBA. 
And I think, you know, in year two, he comes back with a better body, better shape. I think it'll make a big difference for him. We're, we're already looking forward to year two, you know? You know, ultimately, even, even if he is slightly out of shape yeah. as a rookie, he's still impressive, isn't he, Danny? Oh, absolutely. And there, there were flashes there. He still demonstrated a lot of his vision, a lot of his patience. And, you know, I, I was talking to my brother over dinner watching this game, and he was just like, tell me all about Luca." I told him all about Luca, <laughs> and he's like, absolutely. I'm all in. You got to be all in. I, yeah. I think, you know, athleticism matters. It does, right? It matters in the NBA where some of the world's greatest athletes play. But so does skill, so does feel. And that's where Luka is a transcendent prospect. And I think the thing to watch, he was 0-5 from three. And that'll be big for him this year. It's like, if he took a lot of tough threes. If he can make tough mm-hmm. threes, he's going to have a really good year. I think that's the key. They can get how that shooting goes. In, in preseason, Luka did hit some really nasty step-back jumpers. And on the other end of the floor that night, we did see Devin Booker, who looks to have maybe taken another step forward in his career. Each year, he's gotten significantly better. Still under 25 years old. I think Devin Booker, in my opinion, right now at 21 years old, is one of the most underrated players in the league. He averaged nearly 25 points per game last season on fairly good efficiency, uh, a high volume of shots. Um, His passing, I think, has gotten better. He had some really nasty kickouts. And the Phoenix Suns, uh, he had 35.7 assists. It seems that the Phoenix Suns are going to lean on him more in perhaps a Harden-esque role, aren't they, Charks? Yeah, I really love Point Booker. To me, I really jumped out of me was there was one lineup in the third quarter where they had Booker, Jackson, Ariza, Anderson, Aiden. That's freaking, like, everyone's 6-6 and up, and they had Josh Jackson guarding Dennis Smith and Booker running Point in space with Aiden. That is a pretty intriguing lineup they can run with going forward. Yeah, and when you have that much spacing, basketball is just easy. You look at their starting lineup, four of the five players there had six assists or more. There's a lot of ball movement. There's For a lot sure. of just, it's it's easy to find the the right man when everyone is pretty much out in space. Now, I'm not sure if Josh Jackson and TJ Warren are ever going to combine to shoot 75% from three yeah. ever again. <laughs> I, I, That's but, a thing. the under. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sense. But uh, it, it was pretty much a perfect storm of kind of seeing exactly what Kokoshkov wants out of this team, I would say. Absolutely. And look, I mean, they fired their coach right before last season, Earl Watts, and they fired Ryan McDonough right before this season. The Phoenix has some good talent on their team. McDonough's revenge. McDonough's revenge, Charks. It's true. We we saw that on Wednesday night with Booker scoring 35, with Aiton showing flashes. Ariza looking really good in his debut. Some of the other guys, Josh Jackson, he's not going to shoot that well every night, like you said, Danny, but they have guys at really high-value positions in today's league with Ariza, Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, who you love, Charks, who didn't play, TJ Warren, who's suddenly now shooting threes. He he was like a 22% three-point shooter for his career, and suddenly he's stroking threes. It's amazing. The good thing is he was like confident shooting them. That was probably a big part of it, too. He didn't take many threes last year. And if he's missing them, just shooting them is valuable. The floor spacing is is certainly going to make that team extremely, extremely interesting to watch this year, even if they're not a playoff team, which they probably won't be. They're going to be one of the funner young teams in the league to watch. Uh, moving on, uh, the Suns face Dirk and the Mavs on Wednesday, and Dirk happens to be the blueprint for the big man that Aiton's going to be facing tonight. And that's Nuggets center Nikola Jokic. Charks, you wrote about Jokic this week, and Danny, you edited the piece. What did we learn? Like, Can you guys walk us through that piece that you got, uh, wrote, Charks? Oh, I think the thing to me, I just went, because like the last month of the season last year, Jokic really, his game really took another step forward. He put up huge stats. I think it was like 25, 12, and 6 or something, or 7. So I went up to Denver for the training camp, talked to a few people, and they're basically like, at that point, we realized he was our best player. Millsap even said like, I told Jokic, you're the guy now. 
and they moved their offense to where he got the ball all the time. And I think that was kind of a preview of what's going to happen this season where Jokic just got a massive contract. He's the face of the franchise. And I'm really excited what they do with him as like a ball-dominant point center, basically. Right. And all of the quotes in Charks' piece were basically like Will Barden, Mike Malone, Paul Millsap, basically saying, this guy's one of the best players in the NBA, period. But he doesn't know it. And we just, <laughs> we just need to basically coax it out of him. And yeah, exactly what Charks was saying. Over the last, I don't know, 10, 18 games, he was shooting... 43% from three, and he was attempting about four or five a game. And this is from a seven-footer who plays like a point guard, who is probably the least athletic player in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, it's, very it's possibly. Just, it's it's just a, the, yeah. most, the most whimsical, the most, you know, you would not expect this from a guy who looks like he does, and yet he's throwing magic out there every single night. One of the quotes from your story, Charks, that Jokic said that I, I really like, uh, I think it captured who he is. He, he said, quote, whatever is good for my team, I'm going to do that. If that means being aggressive, I'm going to do that. I showed myself I can do that. And I think at the end of last season, we saw all of it. Um, we saw him scoring a lot of points on a high volume with efficiency, like you mentioned, Danny. We, we saw him passing at, to me, maybe the most talented passing big man that I've seen in my lifetime. And there's been a lot of great passing centers over the years. I mean, right now in the league, Marco Sol, Paul Gasol's brother, right. Chris Weber. We've seen a lot of great passing Arvita centers. Sabonis, yeah, yes. Yeah. But Jokic, he, he is truly a special passer at his size, which makes Denver's offense so unique in, in the way they can build around him, Charks. And that was part of the focus of the article is how do you build around a guy like that? Uh, how do you build around him? Because he does have defensive limitations, but his offense is so unusual. Yeah, that's why I made the Dirk comp. And I was looking at Dirk early in his career. And if you have a seven-footer who's that great on offense and like pretty poor on defense, the way to maximize him is to like just put his usage rate as high as possible. And I feel like once you do that, if he's at like 28, 29, 30 usage, Jokic was actually at 24 last year. And if he's using that many possessions, I think you can put less skilled guys around him who are crazy athletic. And the point I was making was, if you look at Dirk's career, the best Dirk teams weren't teams where he had Dirk and Steve Nash even. It's when he had like Dirk and it was like Tyson Chandler, yeah. Josh Howard, Sean, Sean Marion, even Eric Dampier, like big athletic bruisers. And like they played ugly basketball and Dirk carried them home at the end of games. And I think that's probably where the Nuggets need to go three, four, five years from down the line. How close are they to that with their current roster, you think? See, I think right now they're very much like a fun, high-scoring team that'll lose in the first round because they just don't have the athletes to play defense, really. I mean, right now they're starting Will Barton three at six foot six. Like, <laughs> yeah, if they play right. LeBron in the first round, what's going to happen? It's, it's not going to be good. Even, I mean, like in tonight's game with Phoenix, Phoenix has better size at those three, at two, three, four air, uh, spots on the floor. Uh, Denver's small. They do need to make additions, but their cap situation will make that difficult, right. I think. And one of the things that really plagued them last year was just... They were really inconsistent, and part of that was because they didn't have Millsap for a huge chunk of the year, but they just didn't really have that strong of a defensive identity, and so they blew a lot of games. Uh, we saw the first game that they played against the Clippers this season. You know, they were on the verge of losing this game, but I think this year you're looking at a lot more synergy with their team. You're looking at another year for a lot of their young guys. They might be almost too good to really blow some of those games that they blew last year. And I think that's part of the development, but you still run that risk when you don't have those types of defenders on your team. 
Yeah, they they uh, Boban almost killed them. Yeah, <laughs> fun nugget from the story. I didn't get her used. They said Boban's one of the tougher matchups for Jokic actually, because they go way back in Serbia, and like Jokic has a hard time going at Boban. There's been a lot of great dunks in league history. You know, think about Vince Carter jumping over a guy, but Bo, but Boban <laughs> Boban's dunk just not leaving his feet was to me. One of my all-time favorites, I gotta say. Now, Boban's must-watch TV, man. When he's yeah, yeah, I just, I just wish he played in like 1992 against Shaq. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine a game in which both backboards were ripped out. Like, what would you do? Like, you, so does the game just get forfeited? Are you saying Boban would have been Shaq in Shaq's era? And I'm I not, see not saying that. Play like, I, I'm I see him like in a, in a Knicks Heat game from the mid-90s, like 85-80, and no one fast breaks ever. It's just like a constant wrestling match in the paint. One other thought about Jokic. This summer, I thought a lot about him because he's someone I've critiqued quite a lot in the past because of his defensive limitations. But but I've kind of challenged myself about that. And it's like, you know, positionally, he's not bad. I think he knows where to be. It's, you know, the conditioning factor. Sometimes he's not there in time. He's an elite rebounder. I think defensive rebounding is often overlooked when it comes to right. assessing defense because essentially getting the, the defensive rebound is putting a period on the end of a sentence. Um, if you have poor poor rebounding, it's going to hurt your defense, and Jokic is an elite rebounder. A lot rebounder. more commas wouldn't work. You know, and, and that's made me wonder is, are his defensive limitations overrated, Charks, so, or is it the type of thing where he does need to solve that for the Nuggets to elevate their play? See, I think it's like we were saying, it's not him solving it. It's like the Nuggets solving it for him. Like if you had, remember when Dirk won a championship, he had Tyson Chandler on one side of him, and then he had Sean Marion on the other. So like those are two of the best defensive players in the league. If they have two guys like that next to Dirk. Isn't it kind of on him a little bit, though? I, I mean, Dirk at least gotten the best, quote-unquote, best shape of his life. He is a different era as well when you're playing two bigs. I mean, we've talked about small ball a ton. There's going to be situations where Jokic is going to have to be the guy who anchors the defense. I, I think. See, I'm not even sure. I wonder if you can hide him like a two. Like, you're playing the Rockets, and you could put Jokic on P.J. Tucker. Like, I don't know. I think that might be able to work. Maybe that is a solution. Maybe it is putting him on PJ Tucker. But the with the way defenses switches and the way right. they 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 just seek out mismatches, I think Jokic. Look, he's younger now than Marcus Sol was when he entered the NBA, and Marcus Sol became an All Defensive Center. He won one Defensive Player. And, but of the then year. the question really though is, can Marcus Sol do that now with how you're saying right. Kevin with yeah. the league? You're right. That's still yeah. work anymore. I it, don't know. And it's something that uh, Mike Malone had mentioned in Charks's piece. Everyone switching everything. Can we get? Nicola to the point where he's comfortable doing that or do we have to cover for him? I mean, uh, Millsap also said something similar. He was just like, he knows where to go. He just needs to get there. I, I don't know if he gets there. I think he can over time. He's only 23 years old right now. I mean, we just talked about DeAndre Ayton and his opening night defensive mistakes. Right. Jokic is still only 23. Like what he is at 26, 27 physically with his conditioning, with his body, with his understanding of defense, with his communication, it's going to be far ahead of where he is now. But, but guys, can you guys imagine a yoked Jokic? Like, what does he I mean? I, I feel like his body couldn't would, would, would reject that. Like, you know, with those superhero movies, like the muscles just fall off his body. <laughs> like with the transplant, like, no, we can't do this. No, I'll, we're not doing this life. I'll tell you what about a yoked Jokic, Danny. That, that's the one... He was a guy I really liked a lot in the 2014 draft, but I was afraid to put him higher than like 26, whatever I had him, I forget. I was afraid to put him higher because the conditioning was a problem then, 
And now, I don't know if it's an issue necessarily, but it's still, the body fat needs to come down. Yeah. Well, I remember Danny asked me, he was like, does he look in better shape? I was like, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, he just kind of looks the same. I he watched him yesterday. Good. He kind of looks exactly the same. And you know you know what? <laughs> it, it might not matter because he played nearly 33 minutes per game last yeah. year and he was killing it, killing it at the end of the season. Fatigue didn't seem to be an issue for him on offense. Defense, it might just be a matter of skill. Yeah. Moving on. Let's throw a quick outlet to next week. That's the name of our new segment called The Outlet Pass, where we're going to just focus on the games ahead on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to get you excited for the weekend. Tonight, we have a big, big matchup between, in my opinion, the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors. This is a good one. This is exciting. Well, this could be an Eastern Conference Finals preview. Both teams won their debut. Kawhi Leonard, 9 of 22 from the floor. He was good. It doesn't look quite nearly where he was before with San Antonio. He'll get there. Boston, Kyrie Irving struggled. Gordon Hayward, same as Kyle Kawhi, was not quite there yet. But both teams, I think, did show that they are the cream of the crop in the East Conference, Danny. I mean, it's it's specifically about each team's depth. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the Celtics, who... We, we were talking about this, me and Sharks, um, on opening night. We were like, oh, Marcus Morris has 16 and 10, and he might be their eighth, ninth best player. Yeah. I remember Charks asked, where, where, where would Marcus Morris rank on Philadelphia's roster? And it's maybe like fourth or fifth best player. Yeah, he'd probably be closing games. Boston's depth. I mean, there's some conversation this week on Twitter and on various podcasts about, do the Celtics have a superstar? I think the answer is yes, Kyrie Irving. I also feel Kyrie Irving, since his time in Cleveland, has been one of the more underrated players in the league. Like when you look at the top 100 rankings, he seems to be in the well, 20s. He's been hurt a lot. Yeah. Hurt a lot. I mean, if you're I mean, you got to be on the floor. People don't seem to factor in health when it comes to Jimmy Butler playing 60 games a year. But Joel with Kyrie, Embiid. Or Joel Embiid either, for that matter. Always in the top 10. But with Kyrie, I do think they do have that superstar on their team. But like you said, Danny, from the top, it's their depth that makes them potentially a mid to high 60s win team this season. Because they can play so many different ways. They open the second half with Aaron Baines at center over yep. Gordon Hayward. They can play with two bigs against big teams. They can space you out with Horford at the five playing small ball. They can play jumbo, pulling Kyrie off the floor and still have multiple ball handlers and playmakers. I, I can't recall a team that's had this adaptability and versatility that these Celtics do. And I think that's kind of why the matchup against the Raptors is so interesting because they also have those types yeah. of players. And, you know, one lineup that Nick Nurse has been playing in the preseason, and he played a little bit of it in the Cleveland game as well, was Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, OG, and Ibaka. And so you basically have a defense-first lineup that also has a bunch of floor spacing. You could also replace... three-point shooters. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And I am dying to see how that team matches up with the Celtics' quote-unquote lineup of death. I mean, I'm thinking about it. I feel like this is kind of obvious, but Boston and Toronto, in terms of teams who can really defend and really shoot threes, they're probably one and two in the league right now, right? Like in terms of both sides of the ball. They are two of the five best teams in the league. Maybe two of the best four. How about two of the best three? For, I mean, I feel like like Golden State has like Golden State has spacing issues. Sure. Houston might have some defensive issues right now. Boston and Toronto they just have no real weaknesses. I feel like with their lineups, it's a little odd. With you know the Western Conference has obviously stacked. There's ten or eleven, maybe even twelve teams that could deserve or push for a playoff spot. And the East is weak. You know that that battle for the six, seven, eight spot. Pfft. I mean, come on. Like, I don't want to 
deal with that when, when there's some uh, interesting teams in the West. I have, but, I have Hornets takes. That'd be <laughs> oh, fun. Man. Some, some Pistons takes too. Uh, but but the top of the Eastern Conference though, yeah. um, starting tonight, it, it, it will be fascinating to see how these teams match okay, up. Okay, Kev, I got a question for you actually. I'm thinking about like if I'm Jalen Brown and I'm up for an extension next summer, I'm thinking if I'm him right now, like I don't want to be a 3 and D guy. Like I'm not going to let Hayward just take my spot that easily. Like if I'm him, like can I shoot 14, 15 times a game? <laughs> Well, I'd be comfortable taking only 10. I wonder about that with Boston, really. Stuff like that. Jalen Brown, I, I believe he said at media day or sometime during preseason, he mentioned how, you know, those weaknesses that people knocked him for pre-draft, ball handling, decision-making, shooting ability. He's like, nobody's going to question me about that anymore. We'll see about that over the I mean, course of the season. I mean, he's thinking max money, I'm sure. Like, he's not trying to be a role player. He, he has, has to, to, be, to be, right? And if you're a another team and you're looking at a restricted free agent, you want to make it difficult for the Boston Celtics to make a choice matching that. You want them to have to sacrifice something else to match Jalen Brown. That's down the line, of course. As for this season, Charks, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I really don't. I think Gordon Hayward, this team seems to have a lot of unselfish guys who are willing to accept their roles for the greater good. Um, it's just about the guys that they brought into the team. And maybe that'll change over the course of the year if Jalen Brown suddenly starts getting eight shots a game or Hayward starts getting seven shots a game. Or Rozier. Like, or Rozier, who is yeah. somebody who didn't sign his rookie extension because of his hope. And I think maybe there's a chance he could get it. His hope to get the high teens, maybe in $20 million dollars next year on the open market as a restricted free agent. That could come up over the course of the year, but I think if this team continues winning, look, they beat Philly by nearly 20 points with uh, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward both struggling. This team is going to be even better by the end of the season than it is now, assuming good health. It's scary. It's yeah, it's more about the psychology of it because the basketball stuff will be taken care of quickly. It's all about the chemistry and everything else. Charks, you said you had some Celtics takes. I want to hear those. That was my take. Was like, if I'm Jalen Brown, I'm like, this is my team. This is me and Jason Tatum's team. These veterans, they're nice. We went to the ECF Game Seven last year. We're not taking a step back. We're going forward. We're they're not injured. Move they're back. washed. It doesn't doesn't sound like the Celtics would want to add you to the roster charts if they gave you a psychological assessment test. <laughs> 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 they, 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 it's interesting. I think Horford is ultimately going to going to be the guy who sacrifices a lot of shots this year. He only had seven or yeah, sure. nine. He's going to average under 10 shots a game, I think. Yeah, but I mean, I, I feel like he takes a lot of pride in knowing that everyone around the league knows him as the Embiid stopper. For sure. So mm-hmm. I think he's fine with that. One thing about the Sixers, this team doesn't seem that much different from last year. If anything, they might seem a little bit worse. Uh, losing Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Silva doesn't seem significant when you say it out loud, but watching the team... Those guys could be lost the way they space well, the floor. We got to see their the replacements, stretch. right? They're we counting do. on Chandler and Muscala, which maybe is not exciting either. Look, I'm high on both of those guys. And Landry Shamit, interesting rookie. We'll see how he pans out. But ultimately, this team still is flawed. Joel Embiid still needs to improve some of his sloppy turnovers. His shooting has not gotten better. Uh, ben Simmons still shoots with the wrong hand. Markel Fultz, who knows? This team. They're really good. They're the third or fourth best team in the Eastern Conference, but they're not quite on the level as of Boston for sure, and they're not on the level of Toronto either if Kawhi stays healthy. Keep beating that Simmons drum, brother. The team that... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat that drum until he switches hands. Someone needs to get to Ben. But you need to get to Ben. It, I, I'll try. I will try. <laughs> I want it to, okay, It's really ultimately, Danny, I just want Ben Simmons to reach his, reach his potential. Kevin, would you ask Ben that question next time he's in LA? Like, will you ask him that it after a game? It depends on the context. You know, ultimately, <laughs> I mean, here, oh, don't, no, don't, no, no, don't back down no, now. Seri- like, no, no, no Twitter fingers. No, here's a serious response. Why put him on the spot like that 
Okay, here's why, what why? you do. We, our own Brian Curtis record, had, a, had a beautiful, beautiful oh, piece nice about idea. sidling. <laughs> that's the, you just got to sidle a Ben over to the do. side. But I'm not going to, I wouldn't ask him at a post game press conference. Oh, of course not. That, that, yeah. With cameras in his face, that's something that's I, fair. I would never But do hit him with the sidle, KOC. I'll, I'll go with the sidle. That's a great article by Brian Curtis, by the way. It was. Ultimately, the team that could end up the third and fourth best in the Eastern Conference are the Indiana Pacers and the Milwaukee Bucks. They also play tonight. I did not watch the opening night game because I was doing other stuff for the Milwaukee Bucks, but on paper, it does seem that they continued their preseason trend by playing faster, shooting a lot more threes. Giannis continued to look like a legitimate top MVP candidate. Danny, you have some pace research. Yeah, I, it's just we see this every year. It's a point of emphasis for almost every team. Oh, we want to run faster. We want to run faster. But the thing about analyzing these types of trends is not so much looking at, you know, who's playing the fastest. It's not really about the front runners, but it's about how the middle starts to kind of swallow the lower end. Hmm. All of the slowest teams are no longer there. So we're looking at, let's say, last year, the fastest pace over the course of the season was the Pelicans. They played at around 102 uh, possessions per 48 minutes per game. If you look at the first slate of games over the first three days of this NBA season, we had 16 teams operate in games with at least 102 possessions. Hmm. So that's more than half the league. Last year, if we looked at the same thing, 102, only 10 teams did that. So that's a third of the league. So the entire league is really pushing faster. It's not necessarily just the top teams or the bottom teams. It's the entire league is getting a lot faster. Well, to be sure, opening night, it's very exciting. We'll see like in mid-December, right? <laughs> right, like a, yeah. A back-to-back or whatever. I do wonder how much the speed is maintained by these teams because it, it seems, you know, it won't. Pre, it, it, it won't. Teams will slow down, but it's not just three-point shooting rate that has, is on the rise. It's also pace yeah. across the league. Um, and, and, you know, in the past, there's been significant jumps from one year to the next with three-point rate. Uh, I believe it was maybe two years ago, it jumped from, I think, 28% of shots taken up to 31% uh, were three-pointers. Maybe this is the year where that happens with pace with some teams like the Milwaukee Bucks that go from playing really slow to really fast or the Pelicans ratcheting it up even to another level um, than they had in the past. Perhaps we will see a jump like that with essentially the league average for yep. pace. And it, it's obviously really helped Giannis, Mike, yeah, Giannis yep. and yep. Bud and, and everyone here in, in the Bucks. I don't I don't think I've seen anyone have more fun playing on their new team than Brooke Lopez. Uh, <laughs> you see a step back three hit? Okay, that was so pretty yeah, fantastic. It was incredible. Dude is taking a crossover step back three right in Cody's other space. <laughs> there was there was one shot where he It was the slowest step back three I've ever seen. The slowest. Just like I would I would call it a dino step. It, it was <laughs> just that's step. fantastic. It was I like that a lot. He was literally catching the ball 31 feet away from the basket and just he was chucking it, man. It was amazing. That's the new reality. That's the new reality for the Bucks. And then they also had um, Dante DiVincenzo chucking threes too. That was that was great. He was playing crunch time minutes. Obviously, Anthony Davis on opening his opening night was just. Flat oh out outstanding. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo had eight turnovers, but he also had 25 points, 18 rebounds, eight assists. Is this the year where Giannis goes from a, obviously a superstar player, but a, a megastar player within Mike Budenholzer's system? And if so, how do the changes really elevate his play? I think the biggest thing, it's just like Giannis and space. Like they're playing so many shooters now. Like everyone on their rotation can shoot threes. I'm looking at the rotation right now. The only guy who can't shoot threes Henson. is John Henson. Yeah. And he's not going to play much this year. And they put think. him in the corner sometimes right. too. 
Yeah, they're just like having him out there anyways. Like no one's, it was pretty funny having him spotting up in the corner. Watching the game, it was really amazing because when you play five out, it's kind of hard for defense to know when to like, where to set up really. And so there were times when like Giannis would come up the floor and obviously all the attention would be drawn to him. But then with everyone spaced out, they'd have, you know, these flare screens run. And then all of a sudden, Dante DiVincenzo would be wide open for a three. All Giannis had to do was, oh, look over there, throw the ball to him, and it was an instant three. They hit like 50% of their threes, and they attempted almost 40. It was amazing. One other name to keep in mind, it's a deep cut for y'all, Christian Wood. So this is a guy from UNLV. They brought him in on like a non-guaranteed contract, and he's playing opening night. He's like 6'11". He can shoot threes. He might have taken Thon Maker's spot. This is a guy who might play a lot by the season goes on. Helps space the floor. Wood is interesting. They went undrafted. He he was a guy that had some first-round talent, just didn't have the game uh, to be worthy of drafted at all. He went undrafted two years ago. It's interesting. He stuck around. He's certainly interesting. I I, I do wonder what will happen between uh, the minutes for him and Thon Maker. Ultimately, when it comes to the playoffs and the shortened rotation, neither of those guys may play at all. We've seen Thon really save their butts two straight years in the playoffs just for being able to shoot threes. And that just shows how important having a five-man who can space the floor is. For sure. And I mean, that's the weird thing about this new-look Bucks roster adding Ilyasova and Brooke Lopez. Last year, we've talked about this before, the only way the Bucks could space the floor out for Giannis was, was putting Giannis at the five or having Thon Maker at the five and Giannis at the four. But now, they can play really big and still have space because of Lopez and Ilyasova. I mean, you could put Giannis and, at the three if you want to. And Giannis is still technically the five. He's, yes. he's still the only one really going down into the paint. He's a roaming oh, center. He got, he got Miles Bridges so bad a couple times. My boy Miles, welcome to the NBA. Giannis put him on his butt, put him under him, and just dunked on him. Yeah, here, here's, a, here's a prediction. I mean, the Bucks are going to take the most corner threes in, in the league this year. With Giannis yeah. driving with, and yeah. kicking. There's always going to be openings on the corners. He just has to find them. I mean, Giannis had eight assists and eight turnovers, a career high. There's going to be nights where he turns the ball over a lot. That's okay. You can live with that. Yeah, when the pace is up, there are more possessions. So I I don't think it matters. James Harden turns the ball over a lot. Uh, Ultimately, Giannis is going to be a guy who is going to put up LeBron-esque numbers this year because there's going to be more playmaker opportunities, whether it's him as a ball handler in the high pick and roll or... Eric Bledsoe or one of their other guards running pick and roll with Giannis, screening, getting the ball in the short roll, Draymond Green style. And then when he's in a position against a defense that is like, oh, dang, do I help off Brooke Lopez in the corner and help on Giannis, who's like a 70% finisher around the rim? Or do I stay home because Brooke Lopez is shooting 40% from the corner? Impossible. It's really, really yeah. tough. Impossible. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned Harden. Giannis had 12 free throws last night. That's what I noticed. was like, yeah. if Giannis wants to get to the line, it's not hard for me to get to the line. He's going to get contact so easily. And then with Indiana, just to touch on them briefly, Charks, you mentioned when we were prepping for the show that Sabonis and Miles Turner will probably not be playing a lot of minutes together this season. Yeah, it's interesting because they just gave Miles a lot of money, but Sabonis is a really good player too, and they want to play them together. I think that's maybe one of the storylines for the Pacers to track going forward. Because Sabonis can really play. Both those guys are high-level prospects. Sabonis had 14 points, 15 rebounds on 7 of 11 shooting from the Off floor. Off the bench. Off the bench. That dude can ball. Both Miles Turner and, and Demonis Sabonis, maybe you're not going to play those guys together a lot uh, because of the way, you know, floor spacing. Maybe maybe you want to play with Thaddeus Young alongside Miles Turner and Sabonis instead of having them both together. But ultimately... It's a nice choice to have, right? to have both of those young bigs who can really, I think, 
make a positive impact on both ends of the floor. I mean, you, yeah, you had both of them on your breakout players list, I believe, a post that you published about a month ago. What I'm interested to see is if Miles Turner can actually hit this three ball. Like, he's been advertising it uh, on some some select videos, doing some hesitation <laughs> pull-ups, and it looks it looks smooth. His shot has always looked smooth ever since high school. Yeah, uh, it's it's all about volume at this point. You saw him at Texas Sharks. I'm a little surprised they don't have those guys shooting threes frequently yeah. already. I mean, uh, you know Nate McMillan. He loves that you know twenty twenty footer. <laughs> Got to get those shots. That, that's that's that frustrates me. It really does. Uh, I mean, we saw we're seeing some of these big men who never shot threes in the past suddenly shooting threes. Sort of ton in the preseason. Right. <laughs> Whether it's Andre Drummond of all people jacking up eleven threes in preseason. Julius Randle took four. Yes, Julius Randle exactly. Like a lot of bigs across the league are, are shooting threes. I don't think it's unreasonable for Miles Turner and Saponis to step out and shoot threes. I don't. Also, shout out to Miles, you know, playing for a new contract, went, went to work out this summer. That was a good move on his part. That yoga man made him about $20 million. He was like, I'm doing yoga. Give me a new contract. I'm taking it seriously now. You know, I just looked at this. The only big who took a three for the Pacers was Thaddeus Young, and he only took one. Come on, Nate McMillan. Let's do this. Well, that's all we have time for today. That was enjoyable. Danny, Charks, thank you guys. It's great to be back. I'm excited for a new season. It's fun, it's fun stuff. Please give the Ringer NBA show a five-star rating on iTunes. Five stars, please. It'll make all of us very happy. And also, please follow at Ringer NBA on Twitter. That's our new Twitter channel. We're just doing all NBA content on there. But also make sure you're still following at Ringer as well. Special thanks to Bobby for producing. And special thanks to my friend Elon for listening to the show. We'll be back next Friday. Have a beautiful weekend.